What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Freightman Podcast. Today's a little bit of a different episode, different feel. Um, I do not have a guest today. I am my own guest, I guess you could say. And, you know, my heart and my goal is really just to help men, you know, whether that's physically, whether that's spiritually, whether that's going through hardships or whether that's um, relationally, whatever it might be. And I had this idea to do um, answer DMs. My wife, Sadie, does it on her podcast. And it was kind of funny because I had this idea and I was expecting to get maybe like 20 DMs. And I was like, okay, this would be super easy to kind of, you know, decipher through and go through and pick out which ones I wanted to answer. But there was well over 100. And it took me a lot more hours than I was thinking it was going to to go through them. And yeah, I mean, I'm just really blown away by the response from you guys. And some of the questions are super real and super honest and um, very deep and in-depth. And I'm hoping to answer them the best that I can. I uh, do not have all the answers about health or nutrition or spirituality and, you know, our, our faith walk and all these struggles that we as guys can go through. But hopefully I'll share a little bit of, of my story and things that I've walked through and um, hopefully be able to provide some insight. So with all that being said... Um, Question number one, what is your favorite workout and why? So I have a bunch of different favorite workouts. A few weeks ago, I did this powerlifting competition. So for about 10 weeks, I trained heavily for that. I still did, um, you know, heavy strength training, a lot of volume, but I also did cardio stuff. I was, we were playing rec league basketball, me, my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, and we had some buddies play um, in our rec league basketball team. We did really good, actually. That's beside the point. But so I wanted to be in endurance shape, but I also wanted to be strong physically for, for this competition. So I did a little bit of um, some Mondays I would do back squat. Tuesday was bench. Wednesday was rest. Thursday was front squat. Friday was deadlift. And I had my four key compound lifts. And then after I did those, I would do uh, some cardio piece. So really my favorite workouts, I kind of have gotten away from bodybuilding. I just kind of the monotonous, um, you know, over just the same things every day kind of just got boring to me and I wanted to leave the gym sweaty and feel like I really did something. So lately I've been loving strength training as well as conditioning work just for kind of where I'm at with, you know, still being active right now. I'm playing church league softball. So still being active physically, but also wanting to be strong um, physically as well has been my go-to lately. And I'd say that's my favorite style of training, uh, hard strength training and then also conditioning. Question two, how can we better hold people accountable in an encouraging way? This question, I feel like you can go a lot of different ways with it, especially as guys. Holding people accountable in a sense is like, you know, it can be weird. You know, we, we as guys don't want to be called out. We don't want to be held accountable. A lot of times we don't have much humility. And I feel like we have a lot of blind spots that, that we don't see, you know, whether it's with uh, women or whether it's with pride or whether it's with, um, I don't know, jealousy or envy, any of these things that we go through as believers, you know, especially as men, that can be difficult. So I feel like there, I feel like we do need to hold people accountable. You know, Hebrews 3.13 says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I think there's a way to hold people accountable. I think sometimes you can be overly strict, you know, with holding people accountable and you know, not that you want to let people sin willingly. And that's what the author of Hebrews tells us, you know, to encourage one another. And I don't know, as guys, I like to be held accountable. I feel like conviction-wise, if I have a blind spot or if, if, um, if I go astray in one thing, I, I like having good godly men around me to hold me accountable. And I think that if you don't have that, you know, 
Proverbs says, pity a man who falls and there's no one to help him up. So as believers, we do need strong men around us to hold us accountable, but also to encourage us and admonish us and, you know, help us to look more like Jesus. And for me, I know that's been something so pivotal, so pivotal in my life is having people around me to encourage me, to strengthen me, guys that I can confess things to and guys that can hold me accountable when I'm going through a rough season. Um, so yeah, and, and an encouraging way I feel like we can do that is just call them to be better. You know, we don't want to be, you know, talk down to people and uh, condemn people, but we do want to call them, you know, to live a higher life than like Christ has called us to live, but we want to do that in an encouraging way and in an and, and uplifting way. Number three, how to overcome lust and pornography? Well, this is a very deep question, and I don't know what the statistic is, but I think it's like 99%. I could be botching that, but I think it's like 99% of males will struggle with that, have struggled with that, have, have walked through that at some point in their life. And I know that for me, that was a big struggle of mine growing up, um, high school, early on to college, maybe even middle school. I honestly don't really know, maybe eighth grade. I don't really know when the when I started struggling with that, but I feel like now it's even getting younger, which is, is crazy to think about. Um, but yeah, man, lust and pornography is such a, such a thing that we as guys go through and I don't know. It's just, you know, the enemy has such a foothold in it. And it's such a, it's just so sad because things that I never thought about when I was going through high school, when I was early on in college, you know, watching porn and struggling with, with lust and all these different things, you don't really fully think about the impact that that's going to have on in your marriage. And thankfully for me, I was set free from that for about a year maybe a little over a year before me and Sadie ever met. And man, it just, you have to get to a point where you just get so fed up with it. I feel like there are, there are definitely certain precautions that you can do. There's things like covenant eyes. There's, you know, you can set um, time limits on, on social media, whether it's Instagram or Snapchat or, um, you know, YouTube or just even Safari, whatever that might be for you that, 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 that you can struggle with. There's, there's certain things that, that you can put in place and certain boundaries. And for me, it was just the weirdest thing, man. I, I was a freshman in college, and one night I was just watching porn. And after that, literally something clicked, and I was like, I'm, 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 I'm done with this. And it was, I've said that before in the past when I've, as I've struggled with it, but something in that moment was just different. It literally felt like, you know, I'm not even going to tempt myself to go there. I'm not even going to teeter that line. I'm just going to fully eradicate it. And I feel like if you don't get to that point, then you're always going to have a foothold in it. And obviously we do, we still struggle. We still, you know, we can still mess up at times and we can still um, walk through hard things. But I think there's a difference between being tempted by something and fully just immersing yourself in it. I don't know. We had a Bible study, like I said, when I was in college and it was just every week, it was a perpetual, like, I'm struggling with pornography. And then I was like, okay, I'm going I'm I'm to be praying for you. But then it was, we never got over that. You know, it was like, weeks and months of saying the same thing over and over again. And then finally, we all kind of looked at each other and we were like, are we just going to keep struggling with this? Or are we actually going to do something about it? And I think as guys, I think we can just get too comfortable with it. I think we can not think about the impact that it's going to have on our future marriage, on our future, on our future children. Because if, if you don't eradicate it now, man, you're going to set up so many false expectations of what your marriage is going to be. And that person is not going to be able to fulfill whatever thing you fabricated in your mind and it's going to leave you empty. It's going to, 
leave you, it's just not going to fill this desire that you think that you're going to have, that your wife's supposed to meet all these sexual needs for you because it's not going to happen. And I'm just going to say and encourage you, you need to eradicate it before you ever get married. And if you still teeter that line, if you still, you know, want to feel that feeling because it is, a, it's, 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 you know, dopamine. That's, that's what happens when, when that happens, you know, you release this chemical that is not meant for that. Um, so I don't know, man, it, it's, it's definitely a tough thing, but to overcome it, you need to get to a point where you just, you get so fed up with it. You get so sick of it and you need to just fully eradicate it. I remember I would literally be doing homework. I would struggle. I would go watch pornography and then I would be like, I would just feel so disgusting and so gross. And that happened for years on end. And I just never did anything about it until finally one night I just looked at myself and I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm never doing that again. And I have not looked at pornography since then. And that was like six years ago, five years ago, however long that was. So how do you lead your family being the husband and father? Um, yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a really good question, especially, you know, I think a lot of it, I think you learn a lot of it while you're dating. You know, it's not like one day I just woke up, I was a husband and a dad, and I was like, okay, how am I going to lead? Um, so something I did with me and Sadie's relationship was I tried to lead our relationship. So when we were dating, and then dating to engagement, and then engagement to marriage, then after we were married for a year, then we had Honey, our daughter, um, I just kept leading. And what, what that looks like is, um, for me at least, just being intentional whether that's date nights, whether that's, um, you know, carving out alone time or leading spiritually, leading, um, you know, a lot of times me and Sadie go on walks. That's our prayer time. That's times where we just connect. We talk about our day. Um, like I said, we have a daughter now. She's, she just turned one. Um, so praying over her before bed, reading bedtime stories, loving her, um, and also just being humble. You know, there's so many things that I struggle with as a dad whether that's patience or, um, you know, there's times where I can get angry. Angry is a secondary emotion. So what happened to get me to that point? And a lot of times I'm slow to apologize. I'm not quick to listen. I'm slow to listen, but I'm very quick to, very quick to speak. And it's hard to lead a family, especially a marriage, when you're constantly feel like you're in defense, you know, you're, you're, your, your wife's against you when you're not. It's, it, it's, a, it's a team. So something as a leader, I feel like you have to cultivate and develop so much humility to admit when you're wrong, to want to be better, to pray through things, to confess things, to, like I said in, in the second question, to have guys around you that you can um, you know, talk through things with. Hey, this happened the other day, and I'm really struggling with it, and I want to leave my family better help. Can you Pray for me. Can you help me? What are, what are things that you think I can do better at? And I think it's just having a posture of humility and always willing to learn. Um, being slow to, slow to speak, being quick to listen, and being um, good forgivers. You know, the Bible says to forgive 70 times 7. And I'm just going to tell you, if you, get if you get married and if you have a child and you keep record of wrongs, which is what Corinthians says, love keeps no record of wrongs, then it's going to be a super difficult ride and you're probably not going to be the best leader if 
you if, if if your wife is doing things and then you're you know you have this mental checklist of you well you did this you did this because then you're not leading you know then you're just going to use that for ammunition against them when they do something that upsets you or something that frustrates you and that's just not going to go over well and you will probably have a difficult marriage so lead with humility um, admit your mistakes pray with your wife pray with your kids um, those are things that I would say. Starting this faith journey, looking for any advice. So what I would recommend to somebody who's starting their faith journey, you know, it is a journey. Um, there's a process over time called sanctification and refining, which just means over time we try to look more like Jesus. And it's not by our own doing, but it's through the Spirit in us. And something that I would say, you know, when you become a believer, things don't get easier I wouldn't even say life gets better in a sense because you still go through super difficult things, but the the difference in being a believer is that you have somebody to go through those things with you, which is Jesus. And yeah, man, I feel like so many people just have this narrative or this idea that when you start following Jesus, that everything is going to get easier. Um, you know, he's going to make life so much better. You're going to make so much more money. You're going to, all these things, and it's just not true. You know, for a lot of people, when you start following Jesus, that actually puts a target on your back, and the enemy views you as a threat, which can oftentimes make life harder. The way I always say it, you know, if you're not doing things for the kingdom, but you call yourself a believer, well, then if you don't go through difficult things, and, you know, you don't feel like the enemy is, you know, and I could be completely wrong on that, but for me, it's like, the closer I feel to Jesus, the stronger that I can feel the enemy trying to trying to take that relationship from me. Um, the enemy has already been defeated. We walk in victory. Jesus is the Son of God. He was murdered on a cross. If we believe him, if we believe he's the Son of God, and if we put our faith in him, then we will be saved. And I think with that, those aren't just words. You know, it's not just I believe in Jesus or I um, believe he was the son of God, or I trust him, or I go to church. But it's a daily walking. So starting your faith, the first thing I would encourage you is get plugged into church. But that's not the final answer. You know, surround yourself with good godly men. Surround, find a mentor. Um, and cultivate your relationship with Jesus, because that's what it's all about. You know, it's not about church attendance, or it's not about... Um, being a good person or, you know, your moral betterment, but it's about surrendering your life to Jesus. After you start your faith, it's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. Second uh, Corinthians says that those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone, the, the behold, the new has come. So it's not Christian that's living anymore, but it's Jesus living through me. And I still, like I said, struggle with plenty of things. I still doubt. I still do all these different things, but I know that the me who made all those mistakes that I talked about earlier with lust, pornography, with greed, with selfishness, with all these things, that me is put to death, but the me now, me, the person now is walking in newness of life, which is what Galatians tells us. And yeah, I mean, just, just to encourage you in starting your faith journey, um, I don't know if that's really an, an encouragement that, that things are going to get difficult and that life's not going to be so much better. But you have somebody that goes through them with you have somebody that goes through them with you, which is Jesus. And my advice for you is, yeah, get plugged into church, surround yourself with good guys, get a mentor, and 
truly get to know God, get to know who Jesus is, get to know um, why he did what he did. He's a father, he's a friend, he's all the things. And I think that um, journey is a good word because it is a journey. I'm, I'm um, further along than I was five or six years ago, but I also realize how much more wicked and sinful I am now than I did back then. You know, that's just something that's part of the journey. Best way to witness slash share the gospel with friends and coworkers without sounding judgy. Um, so first thing that comes to my mind here is just, you know, we're called to be the light of the world. That's what the gospel tells us. And I feel like now in the world, there's so much darkness. And if we're truly set apart, which is what the Bible also tells us, then something's going to look different about us. You know, whether it's um, our joy, whether it's our language, whether it's our posture when, 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 when bad things happen. So I think just living a life that calls people, um, you know, that makes people question, hey, why are you so joyful in, in this situation or, or what's different about this circumstance, because we are called to be set apart. We are called to look different than the world. You know, the Bible says we're not in the world, but that we're of the world. And what that means is that we're called to look different. So whether that's asking your coworkers, you know, how's their day going, or sim- simply something as, can I be praying for you in, in some way, without sounding judgy, because I think sometimes we think we can come off super judgy, so we don't do it to begin with, and that hinders you. You know, but, but so there, there, there's, I don't know, there, there's flip sides to the coin. You know, you can sound overly religious and hypocritical and like do sound judgy, but at the same time, you can, you know, construct something in your mind to where you don't want to sound judgy so you don't ask them anything at all. And I think both ways are bad. And I think as believers, like I said, we're just called to live a different life. I think we're called to be light. Or I know we're called to be light. And in Matthew 5, verses 15 through 16, it says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven and glorify your Father in heaven. So there's this idea that, you know, as believers, we are we're light, and we are set apart. And in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. So, what, so good deeds, whatever that might be to you, asking someone how their day is and just being a good person. You know, I mean, we're not called just to be good people. We're called to be followers of Jesus. But I feel like a lot of times that is a byproduct of being a follower of Jesus. You're, you just look different. In our world, there's so many just wicked people, bad people. There's so much darkness. And as believers, like I said, we're called to be light. We're called to do good deeds. And people see that. And like I said, you look different. And then a lot of times when you're living like that, people start asking you the questions. You're not, you're not the one asking them, a question, asking them the question. But I will say, get to a point where people do start asking you questions that you have a hope, that you have an answer to get for the hope that you have. Because, you know, I don't know how many opportunities we're going to have like that. So if, if, if you're living a life where, you're, where your coworkers or your friends, you know, ask you about, hey, why, why are you so joyful? Why do you, why do you, live like this, why do you truly believe the Bible, then you're not just stunned when they ask you, but you actually can give an answer for the hope that you have. Okay, transitioning a little bit. How did you know Sadie was the one? Well, that's a good question. I knew that she was the one. When, I don't know, when did I know Sadie was the one? I feel like early on. 
it was this point of like, I just never saw us breaking up. When we started dating, we started, um, you know, communicating and on FaceTime and then going on dates. I never really was thinking like, I'm going to marry this girl. I, I did in the back of my mind, but it was more like, I just don't see us ever not being together. Cause it's one of those things we were long distance and I would have this thought of like, if we break up, I might never see this person again. And that's a very sad thought because we didn't live in the same town. We didn't go to the same school. We didn't, you know, share a classroom together. So it wasn't like if we broke up, I would see her in town or I would see her every day. I was literally like, well, if we break up, I might never see this person again. And that'd be very terrible. And then one night we were a few months into dating and we, you know, shared our testimony. We kind of shared things that we had walked through and I'd had a rougher backstory, rougher things that I've walked through than she had. And it was, I've never shared that with, with anybody. Um, especially a female. And I don't know, after that, after that conversation, after that moment, I was just like, I can't imagine doing this with another girl again. And I didn't want to, it was a, we were up till like four in the morning. It was a long, long night. Um, but it was amazing. It was one of the best conversations we've ever had. And after that moment, I just remember thinking, I don't think I can ever do that again with another, with another girl. Um, so for me, that was a huge turning point, and that was when I knew that she was the one. And now we're married, and now we have a child. Okay, another workout question. Do you come up with your own workouts, or do you follow plans? That's a good question. I do not come up with my own workouts. I feel like if I did, um, they would not be near as good. And I really do, I don't want to say I, I, I envy the people, but the people that can go to the gym and not have like a plan, but they just go in the gym and they think, oh, I'll do X, Y, and Z today. I commend you because I can never do that. I need to know exactly what I'm doing, exactly how long I need to rest between sets, um, and exactly that. So yeah, so when I was training for um, that powerlifting competition a few weeks ago, my, my good friend Adam Klink, who was the first guest on the podcast, um, programmed me my key lifts, my compound lifts that I was, percentage stuff that I was, I was working up to train for. Um, and then typically for, for, for conditioning stuff, and now I'm back on it, I use chalk performance training. They're on an app called Wattify. Um, I use their strength and conditioning portion because I like, you know, I like what they do. I like the strength stuff. I like the percentages that they use. And then I love the conditioning stuff, so whether it's, um, running or an assault bike or, uh, the rower. I just love the conditioning pieces that they add to their workouts. That's typically what I do. I don't plan my own workouts. I don't think I could ever do that. Don't know why. This is not really my thing. All right, next question. I've really been making an effort to eliminate pride in comparison in the weight room. Have you at any point in your life found yourself prideful? Almost daily. Um, yeah, I feel like that's something the closer the, that, that you get with Jesus, the more that you start following him and you have people around you. I feel like conviction, convictionally, you, 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 you notice things when you start to struggle with that. And for me, pride is one that I can be tempted with, I can fall into, and I'm usually pretty aware when I do it, now how often I confess it and I, I want to admit it. That can be more rare on occasions, but I do... Um, and many times in my life, I found myself being prideful, especially in the gym. You know, so I talk about it a lot on the podcast. For me, when I work out, I love to listen to worship music or I, like, I love to listen to a sermon because I view that time more as worshiping. Yes, I'm training my body physically, but I'm also like, how can I get 
stronger spiritually while, while I'm in here doing this. You know, this is an hour out of my day. I don't want to spend it specifically just on on training physically, wanting to look good physically, but I want to train my spiritual muscles as well. And I feel like if I listen to secular music or worldly music, then yeah, I find myself looking at myself in the mirror and seeing what I look like, and, and, and I hate doing that. So something that I would recommend, like I said, um, listening to worship music, try to cut out secular music, and also if there's like a rack or if there's a part of the gym that, that you can lift in where there's no mirrors around you, do that. Um, a lot of times if I'm doing a workout and I'm like specifically looking at myself in the mirror, I might find another rack and I might eliminate looking at myself in the mirror. If I'm doing squats, it's different. You know, I want to check depth and all those different things. But, you know, it's just simple things like that. How can you cut out comparison and pride? You know, don't look in the mirror. Don't look around the gym. Don't compare yourself to other people because it's, it's easy to compare yourself to other people. Who knows? That person might be on... Um, steroids that person might be on whatever all these people take nowadays so it's not even realistic so don't compare yourself to that person try not to try not to check out yourself in the gym and listen to worship music try to cut out secular music that is what i would recommend to you best way to avoid wanting gains for your own self-righteousness love this question because it can be difficult. I mean, you know, being aesthetically in good shape, you know, it's, I don't know, it's, 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 it's fun to be in good shape and it's fun to see results that you work super hard for. You know, something that I've gotten to a point where is, and I talk about this a lot on the podcast as well, but not training for aesthetics, but training for performance. And a lot of times if you just focus on being stronger by just being better, you know, than you were last week. I feel like gains and, you know, looks will follow your performance. So for me, it's just become a mind shift of I'm not training just to look good and have a six pack because I'm going to go on the beach this summer, but it's I want to achieve this goal that I'm going to try to set for myself. And as a byproduct of training super hard to achieve this goal, the physique just kind of follows. Um, but there's been times in my life, I think it was my sophomore year of college, I was working out like six or seven days a week. I literally just wanted to look like Chris Hemsworth, and I was so insecure. Well, was I insecure? I don't know. Maybe I was insecure. But I, was just, I just idolized so much wanting to look a certain way, and in doing that, I just became miserable. And then I didn't work out for like six months after that because I just got in such an unhealthy state. And after that, I started just training for different reasons, not just to look good aesthetically. And I began to love training again the way that I did before I fell into that little pitfall there. So, yes. So, best way to avoid winning gains for your own self-righteousness, I would say set a goal, try to achieve the goal. Don't worry about looking a certain way, but hopefully whatever you want to achieve, that'll come as you achieve the goals that you want to achieve. Okay, next question. Have you ever had that moment after a church camp when you were spiritually motivated, but after a few weeks you go back to old habits? How to overcome that? That's a great question. And I feel like for me, you know, I haven't been to a church camp in a while. Um, but I remember very vividly, it was my senior year of high school. Um, I've shared this story a couple times, but my parents were um, begging me to go to this Christian camp. I did not want to go. Um, 
because honestly, I was just living super worldly at the, at the time, but I was still going to church and I guess trying to do good things. Um, so I was very lukewarm. You could say, um, they sent me to this church camp. I'm on the bus going to this camp and I'm watching American Pie, which if you don't know what that is, it's just, it's not a very appropriate movie. Um, so I'm watching that. And I get there. I'm with, with I'm with one of my buddies who who um, tagged along with me. We were kind of in the same boat. And I remember the very first night we were at worship, and people were raising their hands. And um, I grew so I grew up Methodist. So we had like a contemporary service and like a traditional service. And I was just never very like an emotional worshiper. I never really raised my hands or um, just thought that was I don't know. I thought those people were just weird, honestly. Um, so I'm at this church camp. I'm a senior in high school, and I'm literally like laughing at these people. And I, I hate to say that, but that's what I was doing. I thought they were weird. And by the end of it, the Lord had really gotten a hold of me. Um, and I lasted a few months or a few weeks, which is, which is funny because this is literally what the question asks. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's just, I don't know, man, there's just, there has to be a relationship, you know? And for me, I saw the way that these people were living. I saw the way that, that I was living. I knew that I was doing wrong things, but I just hadn't fully had that desire to truly change it yet. And I did, I did for a few weeks. I, you know, I cut out hanging out with a few friends. I cut out um, doing bad things, but then, you know, people would make fun of me or say, you'll be back doing what you were doing in a few months. And lo and behold, I was. Um, and this question really just makes me think of Mark 4, which I talk about a good bit because this is such a, just a strong story for me. But it says, Others like seed sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. So that might be you. You know, I don't know who asked this question, but you might be at this church camp and you received this word with joy. You were like me uh, several years ago. I was at this camp. I received it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time after a few weeks, which is what the question says, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they, qu- they f- quickly fall away. Still others like seeds sown among thorns hear the word, so they hear it, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come and choke it. So, you know, I love this story because so many of us can find ourselves in these different seeds, you know, and then finally goes on to say, others... Other seeds were sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100-fold. So for me, you know, I was the seed that was sown, and when people started making fun of me, I deserted what I was so passionate about. You know, it says immediately they receive it with joy, but then it says immediately they fall away. So it's this this idea that you hear it, but you don't have any root. You know, you want to do better, you want to be a better person, but there's just not that relationship with Jesus that is truly the root that's going to propel you in your faith, you know? And for me, what overcame it was, um, man, just being fed up with, with just being lukewarm. Um, I overcame it. I don't want to say I overcame it because I think that it was God working in me and it was, it, it, it was the spirit that finally just, you know, inhabited me and just broke off those things that I was so, um, just so addicted to. So I think that question, man, um, how to overcome it, you just, you have to just fully just get a relationship with Jesus. You know, it's not about, 
being in church every Sunday. It's not about being a better person. It's not about X, Y, and Z, but it's like all those things will come. Those will be fruit that you bear becoming a believer, becoming a true follower of Jesus, and actually having a relationship with Jesus. You'll bear fruit. You will be a better person. And those old habits will slowly become less desirable. You know, there's things that um, following Jesus, you know, you still desire sinful things, but that's just not who you, who, who you are anymore. And being a believer, um, you overcome that by knowing where you've come from. And for me, that's what stands out um, because, yeah, whoever asked this question, I was in your, I was in your shoes. Um, I was super spiritually motivated, but after a few weeks, I went back to doing the same things I was doing before that because people made fun of me or I thought I was weird. I don't know. Um, and it wasn't until the next year where I just was like, I don't want to be living this life anymore. I don't want to be you know, hypocritical or two-faced. I don't want to be lukewarm. I'm going to truly go, on, go all in with, with Jesus. And it was the best thing ever. All right, last question. Favorite Bible verse. My favorite Bible verse as of lately has been John 6, 68. And I really love this verse because I, so, I think it's so beautiful. Um, this is Jesus and Peter talking. And I'll start with 67. Jesus tells, or asks Peter, you do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I just love this because, you know, living in a fallen world, um, Jesus is the only hope that we have. And for me, if I ever doubt or even just thinking about if bad things happen in life or if bad things ever were to come up, you know, how would that, would that shake my faith? You know, would I, would I desert it? Would I, what would I do? And I definitely know I would not desert the faith, but I think that I would, I would really wrestle with God of, of, you know, why did this happen? Why did you let this happen? And this verse for me, just the question, to whom shall we go? Or in other versions, where would we go? And it's just so powerful because I'm like, if I ever doubt, if, if, I, if I doubt this gospel, or if I start not to believe this, you know, where else would I go? I've seen the flip side of being so caught up in the world and the fleeting pleasures of sin, and they're not sustainable. They're not lasting. You feel just, you feel terrible. And I've been on the other side where I've been fully following Jesus and the fruit that's been born of that, the relationships that have come from that, the life that's truly been found in that. So like I said, I've been on both sides. And if bad things ever happen, I know that the enemy would try to sow doubt or try to get me to, you know, to not believe it. How could a loving God do X, Y, and Z? But it's just that question that Peter asks Jesus, where, where would we go? And that's something that really resonates with me. And that's been my favorite Bible verse as of lately because I would have nowhere else to go because Jesus is the only way. You know, John 14, 6 says that, or it's Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I just cling to those words. I trust those words and I believe it wholeheartedly. So that is it for today. Uh, thank you so much to everyone who asked the questions. I really hope that you um, got something out of this podcast. Um, this was me being super vulnerable and super open. So I hope that you, uh, I guess I can say, I hope you appreciate that. Um, I hope that you can relate to me on a lot of things. Um, and even just, I don't know, just to honestly, 
Last thing I want to say, you know, I just don't want anybody to think just because I have a lot of followers or a platform or I'm married to Sadie does not mean in any way that I'm not normal. I don't know. Normal might not be the right word, but I'm still human. I still go through all the same things that you go through. Before I met Sadie, I wasn't famous. I met Sadie. Now I have this platform. Um, I've still struggled with all the same things that guys struggle with. Um, I still walk through daily things that I, that I go through, patience, jealousy, fits of rage, you name it. I still walk through it. I'm still human. Um, but I do love Jesus with all my heart. So I hope that you can relate to some of the things that I shared. And I hope that you thoroughly enjoyed this episode of the Fortman Podcast.